You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled True North. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. How are you with directions? I know of some people who find it very difficult to find their way about, especially when driving. And it appears that women are more spatially challenged than men. Now ladies, don't take offence at that. Men are more likely to think they know where to go. Women tend to be less sure of the way to go and are more likely to check check a map. Of course, in these modern times, we have GPS, Global Positioning System, that makes it easier to find one's way around. But sometimes, by slavishly following the GPS directions, you might cover many more kilometres than necessary. I heard of a news item a few years ago about a lady in Paris who had to drive to the Charles de Gaulle airport to pick up a friend. It was normally about a two-hour journey. The lady trusted her iPhone GPS, followed the directions given, and she ended up in northern Italy. What is the reference point by which GPSs and compasses work? No, it's not the geographic North Pole. It is the magnetic North Pole. If you followed a compass, you would not arrive at the North Pole because the North Magnetic Pole moves. The Earth has several poles, not just two. It has geographic North and South Poles, which are the points that mark the Earth's axis of rotation. It also has magnetic north and south poles based on the planet's magnetic field. When you use a compass, it points to the magnetic north pole, not the geographic north pole. The magnetic north pole moves in loops of up to 80 kilometres per day, but its actual location is an average of all these loops and that is also moving around 40 kilometres a year. During the last 150 years, the magnetic North Pole has wandered a total of about 1,102 kilometres, and the magnetic South Pole moves in a similar fashion. The poles can also switch places. Scientists can study when this has happened by examining rocks on the ocean floor that retain, retain traces of the field, similar to a recording on a magnetic tape. Each reversal takes a thousand years or so to complete, and it takes longer for the shift to take effect at the equator than at the poles. The field has weakened about 10% in the last 150 years. The Earth's physical structure is behind all this magnetic shifting. The planet's inner core is thought to be made of liquid iron. The Earth itself spins on its axis, 
the inner core spins as well, and it spins at a different rate than the outer core. This creates a dynamo effect because of convections and currents within the core, and this is what creates the Earth's magnetic field. It's like a giant electromagnet. Exactly how the dynamo affects the field isn't well understood. Shifts in the core's rate of spin and the currents within the molten material most likely affect the planet's field and the location of the poles. In other words, the poles move because the convection in the core changes. These changes might also cause the poles to switch places. Currently, the Earth's magnetic pole is moving towards Siberia. Just as someone navigating needs a reference point, so we need a reference point in our lives. Reference points are needed in order to have proper moral, ethical, and religious boundaries. With regard to morality, I recall reading that many of today's teenagers get their moral and ethical standards not so much from their parents, nor from their teachers, but from television soapies such as Home and Away, Neighbours, and The Young Doctors. Is that good enough? In my opinion, although presented as entertainment. Such shows proclaim many bad messages. In real life, it is necessary to have much more positive reference points than what the unreal screen sculpture presents. Just as the magnetic poles are moving, so moral standards shift. Morality today is often determined by majority vote. If the majority approves of certain actions, then those actions are considered okay, whether or not they're good for the people. Law made resulting from majority approval is known as relative morality. Law made according to the wishes of a powerful, benevolent ruler such as God is known as. Absolute morality. Relative morality can change. Absolute morality does not change, because God does not change. Relative morality is similar to the magnetic North Pole, while absolute morality is more like the fixed geographic North Pole. Absolute morality. And relative morality often differ. Here's an example: relative morality accepts that you can souvenir articles from, say, a hotel, as long as you don't get caught. Absolute morality says stealing in any form is wrong. Just as there is relative and absolute morality, so it is with truth. And we'll deal with this a little later. So, where can one find absolute morality? Well, it's in the Bible. 
in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. The Ten Commandments were, and still are, a definitive moral statement by the Creator of the world and mankind, of course, and that is God. Those commandments are a guideline, a metaphorical geographical North Pole, against which man can measure whether his behaviour is proper or not. Those commandments protect society. They protect you as an individual, and they protect anyone who might be affected by you. They are the standards on which justice is based. The Ten Commandments are often referred to as the Decalogue, or the Moral Law, or even sometimes just the Law. And here's what the Apostle Paul had to say about the Law. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 12 he says, So then, the Law is holy and just and good. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, the same Apostle Paul further wrote, Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I don't know about your experiences at school, but school teachers, schoolmasters, are not there to punish and abuse children. They are there to guide and inform and to help those under their care to know what is right and wrong. And that's how we should view God's holy law. It gives guidelines for proper living. Paul goes on to explain more in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. And there he says, No one will be declared righteous by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, here Paul is saying, the law cannot save anyone. However, through it we come to realise our mistakes and recognise our need for a saviour. And if you read further in Galatians 3 up to verses 24 and 25, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So does that mean when we accept Christ, we have no further need of the law? Does it mean that the law goes to the rubbish tip, never to be needed again? The answer is, no way. What it does mean is that through Christ our sins are forgiven and we are justified by his sacrifice for us. We are at that point no longer in violation of the law because we receive pardon. It's a ridiculous notion to even think that we will never ever sin again after accepting Christ. It is a ridiculous notion to think that the standard 
the guide to proper human behaviour, that is, God's holy law, ceases to exist. If that were the case, how would anyone know whether they have sinned or not? There has to be some reference, some measuring point. And furthermore, it is a ridiculous notion to apply the text in Colossians 2, chapter chapter 2, that is, verses 13 and 14, to say that the moral law was abolished at Calvary. The passage reads, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code, or in some versions it says the handwriting of ordinances, that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailed it to the cross. What Paul here refers to is the ceremonial law, sometimes known as the Mosaic law. That was abolished as it no longer applied because Christ was the sacrificial lamb who gave his life in order that we might be made right with God. Animal sacrifices were no longer needed. If the moral law had been abolished, then Paul would have contradicted himself because he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's law is what counts. But Len, you might ask, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that we're not under the law but under grace? Yes, it does. And that text is found in Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. And it says this, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law but under grace. Does the text say that the, that law... God's law no longer exists? No, it doesn't. It refers to a change in a person who is forgiven by God's grace. When one is pardoned, he or she is free from the penalty of the law. We're going to stop here and have a little break, and I'll go on straight afterwards. Crying 
Just before the break, I was sharing with you a text from Romans 6.14 that says, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under the law, but under the grace. Some people say, well, that means the law is done and finished with. And I want to give you a little illustration. Now, let's say you were in a hurry and were driving along at a furious pace, Besides speeding, went through stoplights, didn't give way when you should have, and wove dangerously in and out of the traffic in your haste. A speed cop following you pulled you up. You explained that you had to get to the hospital because your child, sitting in the back seat, had cut himself and was bleeding. So the policeman gives you a caution. You're free to go because the policeman graciously did not impose on you the penalty for breaking the traffic laws. So you set off again, revving the motor, spinning the wheels and spraying gravel all over the policeman, cutting into the traffic and swerving across the road recklessly. The policeman had formally excused you because he was gracious to you. But as soon as you break the traffic rules again, do you come under the law again? Or does the grace given earlier still apply? <laughs> we'll try it out and see what happens. And I wish you good luck. You were under grace at the moment you were forgiven. And if you continue to live without any further misdemeanours, all would be well. But as soon as you break the law again, you come under its penalty again. How ridiculous it is to think that the law ceased to exist after Calvary. If it did, there would be no sin. First John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whoever sins transgresses or breaks the law. For sin is the transgression, the breaking of the law. So many Christians accept that Jesus died for our sins. But if the law was removed, there cannot be any sin, right? So where would that sin that Christ forgives you come from? Or on the other hand, if the law ceased to exist, then there would be no sin. 
If that was the case, why would Jesus have needed to give up his precious life to save you and me from our sins? The moral law is like the true geographic north. It does not change. It exists forever. And if you've been told that the Ten Commandments were abolished at the cross, you were fed a big, fat, blatant lie. Now, I want to consider a further issue regarding True North. Where does one find absolute truth? Well, it's in the Bible, because the Bible is from God. Have you ever wondered why so many religious organisations exist? Well, it's because of a variety of reasons, and I'll give you five. The first one is, some people accept only parts of the Holy Scriptures, the parts that they like, or what suits them. Uncomfortable truth is rejected. The second reason is some people try to mix Bible truth with worldly philosophical ideas and end up with a mixture of truth and error. The third reason is some people accept tradition over the Bible and others mix tradition with the Bible truth. A fourth reason. Some try to make what the Bible says fit their preconceptions. Instead, our beliefs should come from the Bible. The Bible must have preeminence, not our own ideas. And the fifth and last reason, there are those who only accept some truths and do not progress in a deeper understanding of the Scripture. In other words, they stop short. And it really concerns me that there are preachers who are opposed, who are supposed to be the instruments of leading people to a proper understanding of God's word, who dilute, refute and pollute truth. They are, as Jesus described, blind guides. Spiritual true north is sola scriptura the Bible and the Bible alone. Well, what about those who claim they are led by the Holy Spirit? Well, I believe that we should all be led by the Spirit. But please notice this. In John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus is speaking and he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes... He will guide you into all truth. So when people are taught and accept false doctrines, what sort of spirits are influencing them? I believe they're evil spirits because the Holy Spirit leads people to truth. Today, before finishing, I want to share a true story about someone who did not use a proper reference point. He was called Douglas, nicknamed Wrongway Corrigan. Douglas Corrigan was an aircraft mechanic 
who worked on Charles Lindbergh's plane, The Spirit of St. Louis, before Lindbergh made the ever first ever rather crossing of the Atlantic Ocean. In 1938, Corrigan bought a 1929 Curtis Robin aircraft off a rubbish heap. He rebuilt it and modified it for long-distance flight. In July 1938, that same year, Corrigan piloted the single-engine plane non-stop from California right across America to New York. Although this transcontinental flight was far from unprecedented, Corrigan received national attention simply because the press was amazed that his rattletrap aircraft had survived the journey. After arriving in New York, Corrigan filed plans for a transatlantic flight, but he was promptly denied. Instead, they would allow Corrigan to fly back to the west coast of USA, and on July 17, he took off from Floyd Bennett Airfield, ostentatiously pointed toward the west, going back where he came from. However, a few minutes later, he made a 180-degree turn and vanished into a cloud bank to the puzzlement of the few onlookers. Twenty-eight hours later, Corrigan landed his plane in Dublin, Ireland, stepped out of his plane and exclaimed, Just got in from New York. Where am I? He claimed that he had lost his direction in the clouds and that his compass had malfunctioned. Well, the authorities didn't buy the story and suspended his licence. But Corrigan stuck to his story to the amusement of the public on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. By the time Wrongway Corrigan and his crated plane returned to New York by ship, his licence suspension had been lifted. He was a national celebrity, and a mob of autograph seekers met him on the gangway. Don't you be a wrong way, Corrigan. Set your life on what God wants you to know, his word, the Bible, our spiritual true north, and you will be on a safe path. Read your Bible, study it, become familiar with it, obey it, apply it, and don't pass by it. That's it for today, my friends. Until next time, may you be one of those who opens up your mind and your heart to what God wants you to know.